Welcome to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. For our second week of Advent, Pastor Ben Pitney will be speaking about peace with a message titled, Rediscovering Peace in Our Struggles. Turn to John chapter 14, verses 25 through 31. At Vail Christian Church, we believe in training followers of Christ to worship, gather, give, and serve. So I'm so glad that you guys are here with us today and we're talking about rediscovering Christmas in particular in this journey of Advent. This Sunday, we want to focus on peace. But before we kind of get into that, Jack, introduce us to your beautiful family first. Sure. Um, This is Ella, our middle daughter. Fantastic. So my beautiful wife, Heidi, our oldest daughter, Sydney, and Caroline, our youngest. Nice. So... I gave you a few things to read and to talk about together as a family, and then we're just going to kind of talk about that just for a few minutes today. So when we talk about peace at Advent, peace or Advent signifies this peace and reminds us that Jesus came to bring peace, right, and God's favor to humanity, right? But the world's definition of peace is different than biblical peace. So in order to kind of get into this, we want to read some of the scripture first, okay? So um, I think both of you are going to read. So let's go ahead and and read, I guess, from Luke chapter 2 first. All right, Luke 2, verses 8 through 15. Now there were shepherds nearby living out in the field, keeping guard over their flock at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were absolutely terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. Listen carefully, for I proclaim to you good news that brings great joy to all the people. Today your Savior is born in the city of David. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in strips of cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly a vast heavenly army appeared, and the angel praising God and saying, Glory to the God in the highest and on earth peace among people with whom he is pleased. When the angels left them and went back to the heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has taken place, that the Lord has made known to us. And then some prophecy from Isaiah. Yeah, Isaiah 9, 6. For a child has been born to us, a son has been given to us. He shoulders responsibility and is called extraordinary strategist. Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. And then we go back to the New Testament to John 16. John 16, 33. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have trouble and suffering, but take courage. I have conquered the world. So if we're going to talk about peace then and kind of contrast it a little bit to biblical peace, we have to first discuss how does the world define peace? I'd say that the world defines peace merely as a lack of conflict or an issue. Just smooth sailing, nothing actively causing issues. There's all kinds of difficulties and struggles, you know, constantly, right? So there's not very much peace in the world, actually. And um, But biblical peace, the way God defines peace is totally different. How does God define peace, you think? Well, so when we were discussing this, we really went back to the biblical word for peace, which is shalom, and how that really means 
not lacking anything or wholeness or completeness and how that's really what peace really is. It's not things not going wrong. It's being whole and one with God. I'm certain there are times in the morning when we're all trying to share the bathroom with a whole bunch of really great girls that it could be not peaceful. Does that ever happen, Jack? Oh, yeah, uh, maybe once or twice. <laughs> <laughs> what is it that restores your peace when you feel like things are out of control and not very peaceful? Because we all go through that. What restores your peace as a family? So we came back to Luke 8, chapter chapter 8, verse 40 through 48, where the woman is sick and Jesus is in the crown. And she just reaches out and touches his cloak and she's healed and her completeness and she's whole again. And so in the same way, you just have to spend time with Jesus and rediscovering his love and your love for him. And so for me, it's taking a hike alone and seeing the sunrise or sitting and reading my Bible or worshiping with friends or just sitting and being in him and with him. And so I think we need to remember that even in the craziness of Christmas, like Jesus comes first. And so we need to stop and rediscover our love for him and just be with him. And it's so important, I think, to stay connected, you know, through our community groups and, and the things of God and church, those, those kinds of things, I think, help us reconnect, rediscover uh, that, that, that peace, right? It holds us accountable, keeps us focused. And, and four of the five of us are in school. I, I teach and three students. And so we have this hard stop coming up in mid-December yeah. where we can put, a, put aside our, our daily chores and focus more on, on God family and, and be real intentional um, in that way because I mean in the end if, if if we're not looking up and making sure that relationship is strong then we are never going to find peace in our lives yeah. or as a family. Hey I've enjoyed uh, visiting with you. Thank you so much for taking some time to talk about peace. Thank you. Merry Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> So I hope you got that part where um, Jesus came to bring peace. And the way we describe biblical peace is a completeness, a fullness. And um, isn't that pretty cool? Everywhere throughout the New Testament and the Old Testament where Jesus is declared that he's coming, all right, and where he's announced, it's always accompanied by him bringing peace, bringing peace, bringing a completeness, bringing a fullness. So that's what we're going to talk through today is peace and in particular biblical peace. And I think it's so, oh, it's so appropriate right now because there is a lack of peace in the world the way the world defines it, right? In particular, that contrast about circumstances. If things aren't going exactly right, I mean, that's the only way that the world can bring peace to anything is um, to settle our issues in some way, right? But we know that that p true peace is not found in biblical circumstances. So I want you to turn to John chapter 14. And what we're going to do today, I, I just believe, is um, look uh, looking through the lens of the scripture, drawing the truth out of the scripture. John chapter 14, this is a place that is astounding or astonishing to me sometimes when you think about Jesus hours before he goes to the cross. There's something that he 
focuses on, and in particular, um, it is peace. So let's just look at that, and then we'll draw the truth out of the text, and I think it, I think it should be actually fairly astounding or astonishing. Starting at verse 25 in John chapter 14, Jesus says, I've spoken these things while staying with you, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name will teach you everything, and I will cause you to remember everything I said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give it to you as the world does. Do not let your hearts be distressed or lacking in courage. You heard me say to you, I'm going away. I am coming back to you. And if you loved me, you'd be glad. I would underline the word glad that I'm going to the Father because the Father is greater than I am. I've told you now before it happens so that when it happens, you may Believe, I would underline that word believe. I will not speak with you much longer for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no power over me, but I am doing just what the Father commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. Get up, let us go from here. So there's some pretty amazing things that I think uh, happen right here. And one of the most amazing and wonderful and, and really the sweetest things in the Bible is to realize that just hours before Jesus goes to the cross and he's cru- crucified, he's concerned with some things. He's concerned for the peace and the gladness and the belief of his followers. That's the astonishing part right here. Think about this. He's about to be tortured to death with one of the most horrific ways you could be tortured. And what's weighing on Jesus is what's going on in the hearts of his followers. I don't know what you would be doing if you knew that you were going to be killed in a few hours, in particular tortured. But uh, my, my thinking is I would be concerned about my own peace, my own peace of mind, and my own belief, right? But um, I'd be desperate probably to find peace. So we would probably, all of us, not be pouring out concern for other people. But this is what Jesus is doing right here. So I, I want to start with, with this night that uh, in, in this scene right here, the night before his suffering, all right, where we focus on peace, gladness, and belief, because this is what he's carrying. This is Jesus's burden for his followers. And uh, I think it's pretty amazing. Look at verse 27. Verse 27, that's where we find peace, right? Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give it to you as the world does. Do not let your heart be distressed or lacking in courage. And then gladness, we find this word gladness in verse 28, the second half of verse 28. Some of your versions might say joy. 
I think the word glad is just a little bit different, and um, that's why I want to use it today. The New English translation used the words, uses the word glad. If you love me, you would be glad that I'm going to the Father, because the Father is greater than I am. And we'll explain that verse in just a minute. And then verse 29, belief. You could say faith, but uh, belief is is accurate here. I've told you in verse 29, I've told you now before it happens so that when it happens, you may believe. So these are the things that are on Jesus's heart right here. And this is what he's aiming for just before he suffers. So uh, he's saying, I, I want you to have peace. I want you to have it. I, this is what this is all about to me. I've come to bring completeness and fullness. I want you to be deeply glad for what I'm doing here, I want you to believe in what I say and what I do and have unshakable belief. So I want you to understand, I want you to have the kind of peace that I give, not the kind of peace that the world gives. The kind of gladness that I give, not the kind of glad, the things that the world's glad about, right? Not the kind of belief that the world has, right? I want you, I want you to believe like I believe. In what I believe. So this is the practical outcome of these verses the night of his suffering or the night before his suffering, right? This is really where we find the gospel. And so think this through a minute because the Lord of the universe spends his last night building peace and gladness and belief into the heart of his followers, so I think that's, that's what's sort of really astonishing to me. Just pick your crisis and your injustice right now in the world that we live in. And the solutions that the world is trying to come up with for these things. When you think about these things, um, uh, belief and gladness and peace, right? And, you, and, and in its biblical sense... It, it might be easy for the world and anybody else to think that these, well, these are just feeble things, you know, the church talks about and utilizes all the time. Feeble characteristics, but I'm telling you, that is as far from the truth as it gets, right? These truths are way more deep and enduring and transforming, right? They are not feeble. They're full of and they're bursting with power. All of... Uh, uh, these things that, that, that are weighing on Jesus. Someday Jesus will return himself. He'll come again and he'll set this world right. And he'll bring that, the power that's uh, in these characteristics um, of the Lord. And these things that the Lord wants to do. Peace, gladness, and belief. He will bring all this to full, it's full zenith. All right? But in the meantime, let's just think this through. Let's keep our eyes open and our mind open and our heart open and see and receive what Jesus is doing on this last night. And I think that you'll understand where um, all this power comes from. We want to focus on the New Testament first just a little bit because it will set the stage for what's going to happen. Verses 25 and 26. Look at verse 25 and 26. He says, I've spoken these things while staying with you, but the advocate or the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name will teach you everything and will 
cause you to remember everything I said to you. Now, this is really important because Jesus is answering a question here that's not necessarily being asked right now, but it will be asked, and, and we, we kind of ask it, all right? So, in other words, how is the foundation of the church going to be created and become reliable? I mean, if you leave. What's going to happen here? I mean, you've done a lot of teaching here. See, the apostles don't have video phones, all right? And uh, how are they going to remember all this stuff that Jesus has done and, and, and taught them? And uh, how are they going to understand what they should remember and what's most important? Uh, all these things, since they're obviously a little bit in the dark right now, they haven't connected all the dots completely Especially at this point, right? So here's Jesus' answer to this question. I think it's really important. And it, um, and it, it answers the question for us as well. And, and there's a lot of power in it. But before we go to Jesus' specific answer, I want to, you to see from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, something really important here. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, Every scripture is inspired by God. And useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the person dedicated to God may be capable and equipped for every good work. So that's the apostolic testimony from Jesus' guys about the whole Old Testament. It's inspired by God, reliable and profitable. What about the New Testament? What about the apostles themselves? What are they going to write? How are they going to do all this? Jesus' answer is in verse 26. John 14. Verse 26, he says, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and will cause you to remember everything I said to you. Now, we don't spend probably enough time focused and learning and understanding the Holy Spirit and his role. But here it is laid out right here, right here. So what is John saying here? Is he saying, or what is Jesus saying? He'll see to it, the Holy Spirit of God will see to it. It is his job and his role. He'll see to it that you remember what I want you to record and what I want you to teach. He'll help you understand everything so that when you write it, you can make, uh, make, it, make sure everybody else understands. And it's clear. I, that's profound and that's really important. That's why spending time in God's word and the truth that is, it is recorded and been guided accurately and clearly by the Holy Spirit of God is really important. This is where all the truth is and all the understanding will come from. Here's where all the answers are and what you should know and um, almost everything that is not included here is not that important then. So, Let's, let's talk further about this, being astonished by the Gospels and how they're putting together. In other words, just as Paul testified about the inspiration of the, whole, of the Old Testament, Jesus promises the inspiration of the New Testament. This is exactly what the apostles believed they were doing. They understood, right? So listen how Paul expresses it in 1 Corinthians 2, verses 12 and 13. You can turn there as well. I'll put it on the screen, but I want you to... Keep turning there on your own. It says, now we have not received the spirit of the world, 
but the Spirit who is from God. That's who we've received this from and who we have received, so that we may know the things that are freely given to us by God, and we speak about these things, not with words taught us by human wisdom, but with those taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual things to spiritual people. This is what Jesus promised right here. The Father will send the Holy Spirit of God. He'll bring to your memory what he wants the church to know. And he promised teaching. He will teach you all the things, right? Verse 26. All the things needed to give a true interpretation of what Christ had said and done and who he was. So now the stage is set. This is what is happening in verses 27 through 31. Because years later, John is remembering and he is teaching. And John goes about things a little bit differently than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. He says, you guys have recorded, you know, the, uh, all this about Jesus kind of um, in a similar fashion. I'm going to go about it just a little bit different. And he kind of injects himself in a passionate way a little bit differently so that you get a, di- a little bit different angle. And that's why I think when you look at this text and you draw the truth out of this text, it's astonishing. It's really personal here what uh, John features. And so I think that we should be astonished as we read the Gospels and, and the truth comes out because the Holy Spirit is uh, ensuring that we are understanding clearly Jesus. I think we should be astonished. I think we should expect to learn some things. Jesus planned these Gospels, the New Testament. He he sponsored them, so to speak, right? By the Spirit, by the Holy Spirit of God, He inspired them. In a real sense, the risen Jesus, the risen Christ, He writes His own story, these are just not ordinary books. We should be astonished that we even have them. Be expectant when you read them to hear from God because they are God's words, God's breath. And ask that same Holy Spirit who inspired these writings to illuminate them to you. Because they are foundational to everything that we are as a Christ follower. And so go, let's go back to John 14, verses 27 through 31. And, and I want you to see how Jesus puts his peace and his gladness and his belief in you and I, the way he was doing this for his followers that night. That's what he's doing. I want, I want to go backwards a little bit because it helps you understand the foundation of everything. He's going to the cross. He's going to the cross to lay down his life for his sheep. John 14, look, verse 30 I'll not speak with you much longer, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no power over me, but I'm doing just what the Father commanded me so that, so that the world may know that I love the Father. And then he says, get up, let's go from here. So they've been in the upper room after the Last Supper. Now he makes his move towards the Garden of Gethsemane where he would be arrested and where he would be taken away to die. So he's moving right to there. He brings all these guys with him. And what he is doing in this scene is, he is he's serving their faith. 
I mean, he's really discipling them. And what he wants them to see and what he wants them to believe is that the devil, is that Satan, that he's real, the ruler of this world, he's real and he's active in one crucial sense, but he is powerless. That's what he wants everybody to see and his guys in particular. Look at the second half of verse 30 and the first half of verse 31. When you connect it like it's one sentence, it says, the ruler of this world is coming. He has no power over me, but I'm doing just what the Father had commanded me. In other words, Satan's entered into Judas right now. We already know this happens, and he's coming. But that's not why I'm going to the cross. Satan is not the decider. That's what he's saying. Satan doesn't decide things. And I'm not doing this because Satan's decided something. Why not? Because verse 30 at the end. He has no power over me. Now, those implications are pretty huge for the Christ follower. You see, if this is where Jesus resides and lives, who has no power over you? Satan doesn't have any power. So Jesus is saying, literally, he has nothing in me. He has nothing on me, nothing to accuse me of, because there's no sin in my heart where he can set his hook. Um, sinless, no guilt. He can't make accusations. He looks everywhere around, and what does he find? Righteousness, no access to my soul. There's no chink in this armor. Satan is powerless to rule a sinless man. So when we believe, we're talking um, biblical faith, Belief, real belief in Jesus and the work of Christ. And he enters into our life and we surrender ourselves and we say, look, I'm sinful and I need a savior. And then Jesus washes over us clean, washes us clean, makes us new. We become sinless. Our sin is forgiven past, present, and future. You see this? Satan is powerless to rule a sinless man. So why then does Jesus get arrested? Why does he die? Jesus tells us clearly who is in charge on this night. Look at verse 30 again. At the end, verse 31, at the beginning, it says, he or Satan has no power over me, but I'm doing just what the Father has commanded me. Now this is really important here. Satan's not the explanation for Calvary, and I already said that, and the cross. What is the reason for it? It is obedience. Obedience is the reason. He says, I'm doing just what the Father has commanded me. Let's get up and, and, and go. Evil doesn't have the upper hand. We have the upper hand. Love has the upper hand. So I want you to know, Jesus says, I want the world to know that the demonic betrayal and the demonic denying or lying is not ruling this night. Satan does not rule this night. He can't emphasize this enough. Love is ruling this night. I am obeying the Father. So that the world will know that I love the Father. I'm not controlled by the lies of false witnesses. I'm controlled by love for my Father. The cross was the compliance of love. You see, 
Because all of this plan reached back before creation into the eternal Godhead where God the Son has always infinitely loved God the Father. I am doing just what the Father commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. Now we're ready to look at belief in verse 29 and gladness in verse 28 and peace in verse 27 in particular. The foundation for all these things is that Satan is not sovereign in the death of Jesus. Love is sovereign in the death of Jesus. That's really important. Can we look at belief first? Verse 29, I've told you now before it happens so that when it happens, you may believe. In other words, in addition to all the things that happen to Jesus, all the things Jesus does, which in themselves are, are, I think, enough to awaken our faith and our belief, he adds this prediction in particular. Prediction. Now think this through. Why are things predicted? He doesn't just experience painful things and do these amazing things to wake us up. He predicts them, which means he's weaving this thread of sovereignty through his words, his final words. The point of prediction is to make clear who is in charge. That's the point of prediction. That's, by the way, why we want to know what happens in the future before it happens. We, we like that, right? The point of prediction is to make clear who's in charge, and it isn't Satan, it isn't Pilate, it isn't Herod, it's not the Jews, it's not the soldiers. He's saying, my father's in charge. My father's in charge here. And by his command, I'm in charge. Nobody takes my life from me, so I want you to trust me, and I want you to believe me. Put your faith in our work, the Father and me, in our, in our divine power. Evil doesn't have the upper hand. Evil's not in charge. We are, we are. Love is. And if that was true at history's darkest hour, it'll be true in your darkest hour. And isn't it pretty dark right now in a lot of ways? If you trust him. He's speaking and working on his last night for your belief. Let it be awakened. Let your belief be awakened in the middle of all of the things that are happening right now. I, I, I feel like I've, I've experienced through lots of folks almost a resurgence of fear. Right? Verse 28, you heard me say to you, I'm going away and I'm coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I'm going to the Father because the Father is greater than I am. This is gladness right here. Glad. See, the Father is greater than I am. What does this mean? The Father, during the incarnation, is greater in glory and more exalted because Jesus has humbled himself to serve and to suffer. The Father's nature is, has an exact imprint in the sun. His glory has a full, has full radiance in the sun, in the sun, Jesus, so that they are equally God of the same divine nature, but different in role. It is the role of the Son to submit to the will of the Father. 
And Jesus says that because of the Father's unique role, he's greater. He's not more God. This isn't what he says. And since he has this relationship to the Son, God the Father has this relationship to the Son, Jesus says, you should be glad when you see me return to that more immediate experience of the Father's glory. In, in other words, the gladness of Jesus is being near the Father should be a part of the gladness of his father, uh, followers being near him. When you're, when you're next to Jesus, everything changes, doesn't it? So we should be glad in the gladness of Jesus and the glory of his Father. If you loved me, you would be glad that I'm going to the Father because the Father is greater than I am, all right? So our gladness is not in um, like the world is glad. Wow, it's, we're, our, what we're glad about is completely different. That's where we get our satisfaction. Not as the world gives, Our gladness has roots that are infinite. And remember, God showed us uh, this love between the Father and the Son mainly in the cross. And there's a lot of implications there. Verse 31, but I'm doing just what the Father commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. I'm doing exactly what the Father asked me to do. Look what he asked him to do. Wow. So practically what this means is that before you go to bed at night and you're saying your prayers, these are the things we should praise God for. That, that this love exists between the Father and the Son. We should be really glad about this. Because this is what provided forgiveness and righteousness in our lives. Our lives utterly depend on this. So I'm glad in my prayers for this relationship and this obedience between the Father and the Son. Thank you for giving me a taste of this is I think the way that we should pray. Let's get to peace because this is where I really want to focus because this is, I think, what's most important during this week of Advent, focusing on this piece, verse 27. This is where it becomes more profound, I think. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, he says. I don't give it to you as the world does. Do not let your hearts be distressed or lacking courage. Now, in the last hours of Jesus' life, he's helping you and I become fearless and peaceful persons at the same time. But this is not feeble stuff here. The peace he has in mind may include, um, obviously, peace of all things in the new heaven and the new earth when he comes back and sets things right, right? But this is not what he's focusing on. We know this because he says, do not let your hearts be distressed or lacking in courage. He has in view, he has in mind here, your heart, my heart, and the peace of your heart, and the fearlessness of your heart, and the untroubled waters of your heart, 
He wants all this. He wants his people now to be free from anxiety. This is what Jesus focuses on before he suffers. He wants you and I to be free from anxiety. Is there any anxiety in your life? Just this, this truth is, is really important because Jesus does not want that in your life. He doesn't want it in your heart. And in particular, he's saying, not the peace of good circumstances, I think. He knows that the only kind of heart peace the world can give is peace of mind based on good circumstances. And if that's the where you're looking for peace, if that's where I'm looking for peace, we're never going to get it. The world can only give us peace of mind in good circumstances, and we know that circumstances just change just like that. Jesus says in the middle of verse 27, look at verse 27, I do not give it to you as the world does, which means that his peace is not based on good circumstances. It is given and it has influence in spite of bad circumstances. Here's how Jesus says it in John 16, just two chapters over. John 16, verse 33. He says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You have to be connected to me, though. That's where all the fullness and completeness is. In the world, you have trouble and suffering, but take courage. Be courageous. I've conquered the world, so you can be courageous. That's why I love going back and saying, these things, this peace is not feeble. It's not feeble. It's bursting with power, like volcanic kind of power so what does this have to do with me this is jesus's peace not ours but hear me correctly in other words our peace will make no sense to the world if you have it that's why paul calls it in philippians the peace of god that is beyond that surpasses all understanding all human understanding Human understanding cannot produce it or grasp it. Why? Why not? Why? The ultimate reason is that it's not human peace. <laughs> it's not human peace. Human peace is nearly useless. It's God's peace. It will keep in perspective the Nobel Peace Prize and how <laughs> utterly useless that really is in some ways, right? The peace between Jesus and his father, verse 27, right? Peace I give you. Not, you know, my peace I give you. My peace. I'm not creating your peace. I'm sharing with you my peace. I'm bringing into you, bringing to you I'm bringing you into, excuse me, my peace. My peace. What does this have to do with me? Well, Jesus will bring you into the very peace that he enjoys with his Father. He will do this. Perfect peace with the Father. When Jesus went to the cross and he opened the door for us to enter peace with his Father, he satisfied his justice 
He purchased our forgiveness. He provided our righteousness, making a way into the very peace that he enjoys with his Father. So this completeness, this fullness, all satisfying peace can be yours and mine. And nothing and nobody will be able to take it from you. What does this have to do with me? Jesus will bring you into this very peace, but it requires a surrender, a personal surrender, saying, I'm sinful and I need a Savior in order to have this peace. So, what's this have to do with me? Have you received his belief in the Father's sovereignty over Satan? Have you received his gladness in the Father's greatness? The architect of all of this, who asked Jesus the Son to carry out this command obediently? Have you received this gladness? And have you received his peace in his Father's favor? Belief, gladness, peace. Right there. They're his and they can be yours. And if they are yours, maybe you need to rediscover and reclaim. (laughs) Reclaim these things because we have such an amazing Savior. Imagine on the night before he suffers, this is what's on his heart. This is his burden. This is what he's carrying and concerned about. Your peace, your belief, your gladness. And mine. Wow. Thank you, Lord God, that um, you have this relationship with the Son that is so magnificent and so perfect and so powerful. And that you made a way for us to have peace and gladness and belief. The world really needs this. The world is focused on a different kind of peace that doesn't satisfy, that doesn't last, that's really powerless. During this week, Lord, remind us and challenge us and stretch us and cause us to grow so that more could have this divine God peace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. Join us next week as we continue in our Advent series. If you have any questions, would like more information about our church, or would like to see the video cast of this message, please visit our website at www.vailchristian.com.